Welcome to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. I'm your host, Michael Greenwich. I'm the founder of WorkOS, which is a platform that helps developers quickly ship common enterprise features like single sign-off. On this podcast, you'll hear directly from founders, product leaders, and early stage operators who have navigated building great products for enterprise customers. In every episode, you'll find strategies, tactics, and real world advice for ways to make your app enterprise ready and take your business to the next level. Today, I'm joined by Chris Bach, the co-founder and chief strategy and creative officer at Netlify. Today, over 2 million developers and businesses have signed up for Netlify's development platform, including large enterprises like Nike, Verizon, and Autodesk. Along the way, this meant that Netlify needed to become enterprise ready and start building new features and functionality for IT admins. Recently, they raised a Series D of over $100 million at a $2 billion valuation and also acquired OneGraph. I'm super excited to chat with Chris about how Netlify is moving up market and crossing the enterprise chasm. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's just dive in. Give us a quick update on Netlify. Where's the business and teams today? And where's your current focus? Really fantastic. Thank you for asking. (laughs) First of all, we're lucky to be first movers of a mega market trend. Some context for the listeners here, the fundamental shift in the architecture of the web that we took a big bet on when we started back in the day and help pioneers is really sort of coming to fruition. We collectively are moving away from legacy monolithic applications to this Jamstack approach where, of course, it's all about the decouplement of the web UI on one end and the business logic on the other, which means a much faster and more secure and more scalable web. And Netlify's role in this has always been to provide the overall viable workflows needed for this better web to become reality. And so we provide a broad developer platform and act as an orchestration layer, tying together all the different things you need for your web projects, databases, APIs, front-end frameworks, and so on. And yeah, as you said, like we're growing fast, right? Last year, we were across 1 million developers and businesses. Now we're 2.5. We're running a core mission-critical apps and sites for some of the largest companies in the world. And on the team size, we're about 200 people now and looking to double this upcoming year. So yeah, lots of traction and it's a fun and exciting time to be part of this movement. So much to unpack there. I'm really excited for this conversation. Before we go deeper, I wanted to go into one thing. You have a very interesting title, Chief Strategy and Creative Officer. Can you tell us about what your mandate is at the company and why it was important to have strategy and creativity you know, as an officer level in the C-suite? Absolutely. So my co-founder and I have always, you know, we've known each other since high school and we've always run the company very closely together and we continue to do so. And as we scaled, and I think this is actually an easy trap to fall in as a founder, we found that we were using a lot of our time looking inwards, trying to scale the org. And I wanted to spend more of my time being outward looking and having more time to spend on our overall strategy, positioning, special projects, and so on. So after a lot of looking, we brought in a COO. And we found someone incredibly experienced, Marcus Bragg, who headed up sales at Sendesk until IPO. He was the COO at Alienvault through the acquisition by AT&T and so on. And to really help focus on building a world-class execution machine. And that has really helped free us up. And so, yeah, technically my title was president and that has some overlap with some of the duties of a COO. So I changed my title. And I think while titles are less important than what you actually do, I do think that the overall strategy and positioning can be lost in the daily shuffle where there's all these things on fire as you're building out this hyper growth company, right? And I think as founders, you have to have an understanding or you will have an understanding that others won't. 
necessarily. And so I think it's very important that you make sure that you have the time to look up, to look outwards, and to focus on the things where you can add quite unique value. Yeah, I think that's super important. And then, of course, you know, all that said, my day is still very much filled with fundraising, executive hires, special projects, like our new fund that I'm excited to talk about, right? And and it remains at the same time incredibly important to me that Netlify is a place that people want to be a part of and where in many years after a long career, my hope is that people can look back and this was the place where they learned the most, right? So, so yeah, lots to do. So it sounds like you spend most of your time looking forward into the future. I want to do the opposite. Let's look back into the past. Earlier days of Netlify, before you had this huge enterprise adoption and had scaled the business to this level, what was that like in that phase? What was maybe your first enterprise opportunity? When did the product really start getting commercialized? Where did that growth come from? And what was the state of Netlify's kind of product for enterprises at the time? Netlify has always been developer first, right? It's always been a bottom-up motion. But even when we were just two people, Matt and I, we were serving early clients like WeWork and Sequoia Capital. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't know there was just two of us. But yeah, so I mean, like it was early on, but I can, you know, maybe dive into an early client that was Smashing Magazine. They were the most popular online publication in the world for web developers and designers. So having them migrate the new category of the Jamstack to us was a huge early deal for us. And I think that most SaaS businesses, they'll have at least one client where you do the work that doesn't scale, right? You know, and you could say that that smashing was kind of it for us. They were using a ton of different systems, databases, caching plugins, you name it, right? Conference sites and an e-commerce store and a huge publication as well, right? And hundreds of thousands of comments collected over the years. And so we wrote an article for them on this new category, and it became the article with the most traction in all of 2015. And so it also showed how smashing itself would be six times faster if they were running Jamstack and Netlify. And so they in turn asked us, well, what would it take to make a reality? You know, and truth is that at that point, a lot needed to be built out. Now, the headless CMSs and the headless commerce space were nowhere near as mature as they are today. So we had to spend a ton of hours helping them succeed, but it made a big impact for us. And it was the first big use case really demonstrating to the world just how superior this new architecture was. That's an amazing story with Smashing Mag. What in those early days, what other decisions did you deliberately make to push Netlify towards being enterprise ready for those larger customers? There was a lot of them, right? For example, advanced redirects, right? We have a very extremely advanced engine around that. But it was a way to get those early clients, like I mentioned, we work in Sequoia Capital over because it enabled them to gradually migrate to this new stack. So in the old world, you would typically have to build out everything and then flip the switch and then you go to a new stack. And that's a little hard when it's, you know, early days and it's not a very mature category and so on. So what we enabled was that they could just do it page by page. And so that functionality was not something that, you know, the average individual developer needed very much, right? But it was a very much an enterprise feature. And so we could see that that would be a gatekeeper otherwise, right? And so that's one of the things we prioritize. And I know we'll get into it more, right? But there's always a balance of whether you let someone eat your roadmap and you end up building something that won't scale with you into other enterprises early on, right? And you keep the focus on wanting to build out a standard, but still you have to make yourself useful for enterprises along the way as well, right? So, I mean, today we have hundreds of features, there's security and DDoS protection and all the other things that we've been able to build out, right? But that specifically cater enterprises. But yeah, I think you have to be careful and not pigeonholing yourself, right? You can't have someone in your roadmap. You have to sort of balance the 
needs of large single enterprises early on that will come in and it will meet a lot for revenue very often, right? It's hard to say no to, but you have to sort of balance out what they need towards what everyone else will need as well. I'd love to go deeper into that. Can you tell us about a time when you said no to a feature to build for an enterprise that you said, no, we're not going to get our roadmap eaten by this big, big potential kind of juicy deal that's right in front of us? When is Netless side yeah, said no to features? Absolutely, right? Often it's been around private networks early on, right? And on-prem solutions and how we plug into those kinds of environments, right? Where we were saying, well, we'll get to that. But at this point, it just doesn't make sense to focus these efforts because there was other things that were more sort of pressing, right? Netlify is a very broad platform. We span from local development all the way to a multi-cloud network, right? So we needed to make sure that we weren't spending too much time early on on something that would be relevant to a select few enterprises. Were these features all packaged as part of the kind of basic developer getting started plan? Or did you start using these to package into an enterprise version? I'm curious if you can talk about kind of the packaging structure strategy for your offering. I mean, packaging, I think we all know here, both us on the call and everyone listening, that that's something that's continuously evolving, right? There's no sort of right answer here. <laughs> it's super hard, right? And it's always going to be a compromise. But I think like, you know, early on, there are things around compliance, right? And language-based redirects and so on that you're not going to need if you're a developer figuring out how this works and you're, you know, starting experimenting with your block. And so those are sort of very, very easy to gate, you know, and make available for enterprises only, right? And then there's other things that are much more sort of hard to say, this is developer only or enterprise only, right? And it has uses both ways, right? And there you just have to, I think, go a lot by trial and error, right? And figure out like, what's the value add that you can add to a certain functionality feature, product or service that will make a lot more sense for enterprises, right? Where they will feel that there's a fair value exchange when they pay for it as an enterprise. But there's also a version of that that works on a freemium tier. So developers can get a full experience there as well. You mentioned freemium. I'd love to hear about sort of the typical enterprise customer journey, where they start, sort of where they come inbound, how they grow, and what are those different phases that they move through? Absolutely. I mean, we have a developer-led GTM that's not unlike AWS, Twilio, and Stripe, and so on, right? And then the actual sales motion in itself that complements the developer, but we quickly expand into the organization layer of enterprises as well, where you have your engineering managers and such, right? Customer journeys with Netlify often start with a single use case in mind. It could be e-commerce or something like that. But Netlify has a very agnostic platform. We're not trying to build a small vertical around a database or a singular tool or framework or something like that. And so it's a very horizontal play. And so very often we'll see that once they start using us, they'll we'll quickly be able to move with them into other kinds of platforms and that have very different needs. And so many of our customers will have hundreds of different developers, dozens of teams, and also includes DevOps, project managers, and so on. And in fact, we quite more than double the developers per client per year as we have a land and expand motion. That sounds like a really complex sale that you're doing for those customers. I'm curious if you could talk about how your sales team is structured, maybe even how you thought about building the initial sales team earlier on and what it's evolved into now. It's not more complex than Netlify starts very often with someone kicking the tires, right? And figuring out this new way to building for the web. And then they start at scale, taking that into enterprises. And then we connect with them and they reach out to us as they graduate into needing everything from certifications to the expertise of our solution engineers and so on and so forth, right? 
And then we go from there as they continue their journey to this new stack and using Netlify for more and more projects. Sales, I think, right, so we're 40 today across the org, and that includes solution engineers, customer success, and so on, right? So it's a growing org, very much so. When it starts early on, I think I'm often asked around that, right? And I think it's very important that you use early sales in cases like ours to learn. I think more than saying, hey, like it's super important that we get these deals closed. I think early on, especially if you're venture back and you can afford it, get those salespeople out there and figure out what does the client and the customers need? You know, that valuable information is everything, right? And so I think that's where you start. And then once you have something that you can see, now we can scale this, then you need a different kind of people to help scale this and make repeatable models, right? That aren't necessarily the researchers in the same way, right? And then as you scale out there, you start getting the graduated disciplines of BDRs and AEs, and then you grow with customer success and sales engineering and so on, right? And you layer that as you move on, right? Of course, you start working very closely with security and support as well, right? As you get more and larger clients that are going to need help getting there as well. I'm curious how you approach product development for enterprise. You mentioned some of this coming from sales. You start hearing about this as those folks are going up market. Are you also proactively going out and trying to figure out what does Netlify for the biggest enterprises look like? How do you think about your enterprise roadmap today? We are a super customer-centric organization, and we work extremely closely with our customers on the enterprise side of things. We have customer advisory boards. We do the largest Jamstack survey in the world every year. We have tons of events and conferences, and we just work very close. We have a big partner program that's only being expanded all the time, and so we live off of getting this feedback in many ways all the time. That said, we have tons of examples, right? Multi-team governance, single sign-on, role-based access control, right? Performance of edge network that simply has to be the best in class, having four nines at the very least. There's so many examples that are important once you graduate into enterprises. But at the end of the day, I would say, what's good for developers very often, what's good for enterprises and vice versa, right? It's not like it's two different companies that is catering devs on one side and enterprises on the other. I very much see that if you're doing it right, you have much more homogenous roadmap that brings and caters developers, but also caters those developers in these very large organizations. You've talked some about balancing between growing top of funnel, getting more users and monetizing. Really enterprise here is clearly, you know, for monetizing, growing the financial side of the business. How do you think through that balance and that split? And what does it look like right now at Netlify in terms of expanding maybe your customer base, the broad developer set versus focusing on the commercial audience? I think it's a great question, right? And it's always a tough one. And I think it always starts with understanding how does one feed into the other? So there's several phases in this, right? What do you put into growing the category as we did in our space, right? Netlify started out betting everything on a market trend that didn't exist yet, right? So like GitHub, right? It's not really relevant if you haven't qualified the user Git first, right? And so in that way, how much do you go into communicating the virtues of the category versus communicating the virtues of your own product and services? And how much time do you spend on communicating a category versus your own brand? Is something that's going to be in flux forever, right? And of course, the same thing goes here on when you talk about how much do you 
allowed to focus on top of funnel and do content, for example, that's more targeted towards more junior developers that are just coming on learning how to code versus the ones, you know, bringing out use cases that are more relevant for enterprises. And there are many rules of thumb here. And I'm sure you've also talked about this in the other podcast. Some says that, well, as a SaaS, it's, you have to have a two to 5% conversion in free to self-serve and so on. I would say that that completely depends on what you're charging, right? I mean, you get a 99.5% freemium if the 0.5%, you know, pays you millions of dollars each month, right, per client. So I would say for us, the ground truth here is that for us to be successful at scale, we depend on the shift of the architecture of the web. And that means building out a standard. Now, of course, we're going to need massive overall adoption for that to happen. And at the same time, we want to build a very healthy business. And so I think it's always going to be a balance. And, you know, it's always going to be a compromise. It's just like pricing and packaging. It's continuously evolve. But I think the best thing you can do and the most important thing is probably make sure that they're not at odds, that you're not ending up with a business that's sort of a dual funnel approach where one doesn't actually really feed into the other, that you're ending up in a place where you're having to build for one or the other, right? And it's not the same thing. Right? I think that can be a little dangerous if you're trying to do a true bottom-up growth into enterprises. You've talked about creating the category in this emergent new way of how people are designing and building web applications. I'd be remiss not to talk about the Jamstack fund, the innovation fund. Uh, would love for you to tell us more about that. It was recently announced with this financing. What's the goal of that? What's the purpose in terms of Netlify, the ecosystem, and also even like Netlify Enterprise and the business? Walk us through that. The beautiful and fun part here is that how incredibly interconnected it all is. So again, Netlify is here for the first time being able to bring a solution to enterprises. So in the old world, you had more of silos, right? You have a monolith that it's not just the, let's say, the content management system, but also the templating, the build tool, the glue code, everything else, right? And so you're going to have specialized developers working on that. And in the new world, you're separating the web UI from the back end. And now you can break down these silos and have these web developers work across all kinds of properties with common workflows, but being able to mix and match and pull in the right best tools, frameworks, databases, APIs, and so on for the job every time. Now, Netlify's role in this is to be an encompassing platform that can sort of add as a, a conduit for the ecosystem which leads me to very much the next natural point. That means that we are nowhere without the ecosystem. Again, we did not choose to build a vertical around a framework, around a single tool. We're much more open-ended. So we're very dependent on having a mature ecosystem. And so that leads to the fund. Now, Matt and I early on started putting angel checks into the ecosystem, not to diversify our income, and it wasn't a lot of money, both to pay it forward, but also to really push forward this ecosystem that we are so dependent on. And so that's why I'm incredibly excited to be able to do this now where we have a plan of spending $10 million and we're attaching a program to it as well. Compared to like an incubator, we're not taking percentages for that at all. We're coming in as a totally normal investor, but there's so many things when you're scaling a startup, just like we're talking about here, from fundraising to building out early GTM, scaling York and so on. So we're bringing in industry leading experts to help with that, including some of the ones that are at Netlify. And then we'll be working with fantastic solution engineering team and also helping all of us sort of figure out like, how can we communicate and build out standards in a way that, that pushes this forward. In other words, when the ecosystem wins, we win. 
We are completely one-to-one aligned. It's very much a joint effort. That's why I'm excited, right? Because there's no sort of contradictory interest here with these startups that we're becoming a part of. And I would say the enterprise play here is a complete natural elongation of just that. Because when enterprises are really starting to use Netlify 4, it's not just for a singular project, but more of saying, okay, well, this decouple approach, this move off the monolithic applications, that's just synonymous for us with how we build for the modern web. Now, Netlify can provide this platform, this standard of workflows where it doesn't matter if we're building for the kiosks, you know, in the Burger King restaurants, or if it's a fitness bike that has a an actual player running there and membership access, or if it's my.com or developer.com, marketing sites, right? We can actually have common workflows for this. But the only way that we get into those enterprises is if you can choose services and tools that will work with this architecture. And for that, we need to continue to involve the ecosystem, right? So that's where enterprises get so much out of this. And Netlify is about taking a lot of operation, turning it into code. It's about making sure that these companies can benefit from not being stuck in these silos, right? And we are working right now with a client that tried to build it themselves on AWS. And now they're looking to move over 3,600 developers and their own business case suggests that they will be saving 82,000 developer business days, working days over five years. I mean, that's huge, right? That comes from consolidating on Netlify, but also because they're now seeing, well, there's enough tools to cover all the normal use cases, right? And that's the motion that we keep pushing forward. So yeah, for the Jamstack, for Netlify, for the ecosystem, and for enterprises, this fund makes so much sense. And I love when things are aligned, right? I love when one thing amplifies the other, right? And so, yeah, I'm extremely excited about it. That's super exciting. What an incredible impact on not just you know your customer base, but the whole ecosystem. I'm just super excited to see where that evolves. Zooming back out, you know, thinking about the last several years as you've been building this company, what do you wish you would have known earlier in this journey and maybe what surprised you? <laughs> yeah, that's always a fun run, right? I think on the surprise part of it, you learn so much building this out. Like you almost feel like a completely different person and the world has changed over the last six, seven years. At the same time, I think it surprises me that what we set out to do and how the API economy would keep growing and how this ecosystem would mature and how we could help facilitate that a lot of extent been playing out sort of to plan and maybe with so many unknowns and having to learn so much along the way, I think that's a bit surprising, right? It even looks similar to what we were imagining back then. Intentionality behind how you share knowledge in a company, like, you know, knowledge sharing tool, and especially as we're all going distributed, that's something where it doesn't matter. Like if the information is there, it's there, right? Like, okay, we have Slack, we have email, we have notion or google docs or whatever it might be right and i definitely found that it mattered right and how we shared that knowledge mattered so today we have fairly solid procedures for that right we have our own handbook and so on that we engineered ourselves but i think especially in modern startups that are very remote matters earlier it's not something that you should just start to think about when you're 50 or 60 people right i think having really intentional knowledge sharing especially asynchronously early on is actually something that'll set you up for success so that was one thing. Another thing was billing. Netlify is a huge platform that has so many different units. And we thought in the beginning, we have great engineers, right? It's an engineering problem. Let them go fix it, right? We'll see you in three months. Ouch. <laughs> there was a lot of considerations there, right? And a lot of things that we had to end up building out ourselves that we should have done in the beginning, right? But yeah, you live, you learn. 
Last question for you. What advice would you give early stage entrepreneurs, people at the earliest phases of building a new B2B SaaS app that haven't yet crossed the enterprise chasm, but are looking to grow? Early stage entrepreneurs, if you look at the ones that are thinking about, you know, should I be doing this or not, right? Should I venture out on my own? Should I be building this company? I think it's extremely important to truly focus what it is you want to set out to do, right? And it's going to cost you more than you think. It's a very exhausting long ride. There's very rarely like super quick wins, right? So you really have to want it. But then I also think it's important to really look at, I mean, we're talking venture-based SaaS companies here that are growing super fast, right? If you look at things broadly, many businesses shouldn't be, right? Many businesses will be set up for much better success by not necessarily taking that track, right? So I think that's really important to look at is what kind of business is this best served by being, right? That it's not like you have to go through a certain Silicon Valley model of raising every 18 months, right? I mean, some businesses that are trying to solve a very big problem and need to make an impact and can't wait for generating revenue before they do so and need a lot of engineering powers, et cetera, makes perfect sense. But there's a lot of businesses that aren't like that, right? So I think just being aware that success comes in many forms, right? And then the most important one is probably not just to be governed by the gold, right? If you're only governed by where you're going, I found that the people that just look at the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right, they sort of never tend to get there. I think you have to believe that you will enjoy getting there. You have to optimize for enjoying the process. That's the fun part, right? And if you do that and you enjoy it and you're lucky and smart and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are, right, then you have a chance of actually getting there. But I think otherwise, it's really hard. I think that's some really wise advice. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. You just listened to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. Want to learn more about becoming enterprise ready? The WorkOS blog is full of tons of articles and guides outlining best practices for adding features like single sign-on, skim provisioning, and more to your app. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear about new episodes with more founders and product leads of fast-growing startups. I'm Michael Greenwich, founder of WorkOS. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.